Hey everybody, this is Kyle Klammer. And this is Zach Welch. And this is... The Good Life Bowhunter, the official podcast of the NBA. Right it is. Hey guys, we're back again. Didn't take us two months to record one this time. No, <laughs> no, it wasn't quite two months, but uh, um, really great to be back. Um, yeah, just uh, weather's been beautiful the past couple days. Yeah, so. it has. Looks like it's going to change here pretty quick though, so you might yeah. want to get out there and soak it up before it's gone. <laughs> For sure, for sure. So, um, awesome. Well, today, uh, just just to kind of set the stage. So today on this episode, we've got Brian Barney here on on a little bit later. We uh, got uh, him recorded, and we're gonna uh, share that with you guys. But just really great recording. Um, oh yeah, a lot of awesome information there. So you guys will really enjoy that. But uh, Brian's an awesome guy. He's a hardcore hunter, blue collar guy, like a lot of yeah. you know, fellow NBA members. He just makes the most of it and gets out there and gets it done. Definitely. Definitely. So I think you guys will really enjoy that. Um, but uh, going to j- go ahead and just jump into some uh, NBA announcements here. Zach, you want to take it away? Yeah. So we do have one announcement. Um, we're looking for somebody to run for vice chair and central board. And I believe they'll vote on that at the banquet in March. Mm-hmm. So if you're wanting to run for that, I suppose you probably should get a hold of Rich Walters. Yeah. Yeah. Rich Walters. For sure. Rich Walters or yeah, since I think and, uh, Heather too. You can get a hold yeah, of her. Get a hold of Heather. One, so. So, yep. so yeah, if you're interested in that, get a hold of one of those two and they'll be able to help you out. Definitely. Um Yeah, I think then that's pretty much it. Again, the banquet first weekend in March always first weekend we in March. talked yep. about that last time. But uh and uh yeah, with that we'll uh roll into our next segment, the Jump right in then to our recipe of the podcast. So I'm gonna kinda veer a little bit off our general um, what we usually do, I guess, is um, we're just going to talk quick about making deer jerky. Yeah. Zach? <laughs> I, think a, I think quite a few people this time of year start making jerky, you know, start freezers getting full. You got a lot of that trim, mm-hmm. you know, some just extra scraps, you know, in the freezer that you want to turn into jerky. And I mean, you can't go wrong with it. I Definitely. But yeah, I, I, uh, so I've tried just here recently, you know, I, I've, I've definitely used, uh, and you know, Zach chime in whenever on this, I've, um, definitely used a few different, uh, um, you know, kind of the standard, um, store-bought mixes and stuff, you know, high mountain makes yeah, some real good. Um, and, and there's a bunch of other different ones that are all, all great. Um, but recently I kind of, um, there's a couple recipes that I used, um, sort of made my own. Um, not my own, I didn't make it up, but, um, there's one in the mediator cookbook that I used. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one or used that one at all. I'm not sure if I have. Um, but, uh, that's a good one. Um, it's like, I think it's called the queen mother of all jerkies or something (laughs) in the cookbook. So if you guys have that book, that's a really good recipe. Um, it is, it is very good. Um, and kind of along the same lines, there's one, uh, anybody get Nebraska land in the October issue from uh, this year, 2019, there was an excellent recipe, um, for deer jerky about halfway through. It's like jalapeno and pineapple or something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it's very good. Um, I think, I think I did, I think I substituted, they, they, they talk about the like number one curing prig powder or something. I can't remember what it is, but, um, I substituted Morton's tender quick in there. Anybody that is looking at the recipe or whatever. Um, and, uh, basically just, they ask for salt and then the curing 
salt or powder or whatever it is. And I just left out the salt and the curing powder and just used Morton's tender quick at whatever ratio it just calls for on the package. So, um, give that one a try though. It, it's really, it's, it's really good. Um, I think, uh, I'm pretty sure that's what I had when you and your dad were over here. Yeah. I think he devoured really the year. package. But yeah. No. <laughs> pretty much. No, it was, it was really good though. Yeah. Um, a couple, I guess just tips, things. I mean, I've made a, I am not, I haven't made that much jerky, but just a few things that, and I've talked to other people too, just, um, that have said similar stuff as dehydrator, I think number one, Yeah. I think, um, you know, you can make it in the oven smoker works fine too, but I don't know why there's just something about the jerky on the dehydrator. I really it's, like the dehydrator too. You know, you yeah. can't, can't make quite as much at a time as say like a smoker but i i like it the most about of any you know sometimes that sometimes a smoker almost gets too much smoky flavor yeah. for me and i i think that's why i like the dehydrator way so much yep i agree um and then something else too that i've kind of found and this is probably more of a personal preference than anything but um you know i always thought um and you know you you see guys making jerky or watch videos on YouTube or whatever. And, um, they always talk about, you know, big whole cuts of meat and, um, and actually to be honest with you, like I've found that I feel like some of the better jerky pieces are just like some of the like little trim meat stuff, like off of the, you know, the shoulder or the neck or whatever, oh, like, yeah. you know, that you cut up into little pieces and then they end up, I don't know why I just, I, instead of like the big, you know, the big pieces of jerky, I feel like those turn out just as, yeah, 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 just yeah, as good know, or better. But, it's kind of um, what we do, you know, if you're trimming up, you know, hind quarter or shoulder, like you said, or whatever, we just set a bag to the side that's just mm-hmm. separate that just is trim and then we'll turn that into jerky. And yeah. Like you said, those little pieces is just work about the yeah. best of anything. I agree. So, yeah. Anyhow, there's just some, just a few things there, but, uh, that's, uh, I don't know. Anything else to add about yeah. that? That's kind of. Not really. I mean, like you said, there's, it's kind of personal preference. Some, some mm-hmm. guys like to run it through the grinder and yep. make, make sticks. You know, I, I like sticks, but I, I like the muscle jerky. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess I should clarify it. All this that I was talking about is muscle is jerky. Muscle, yeah. Yep. That's, that's kind of what I prefer to, but anyhow, but, um, one of those things that it's pretty hard to mess up, jerky. I mean, it is. It's pretty much your personal preference. Just experiment with stuff. You know, if you if you like to use the oven, if you like to use the, if you have a smoker. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of guys like that. Just whatever works. But definitely, def- so. definitely a good recipe to talk about this time of year. Though seems like everybody's making jerky in these winter months. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time to do it. So. Yeah. <laughs> um. Very good. Well, uh, with that, let's just jump right into our next segment. Zach, you're going to touch on uh, some late-season whitetail tactics, yeah, right? Yeah, late-season so. whitetail. So if you still got a tag in your pocket, I you know, I dare to say the late season is some of my favorite. When the snow gets on the ground and uh, you know, it's just a fun time of year to hunt. And I think if you have a buck you know, that's hanging around that you've had on camera that maybe you didn't catch up with in the rut or you had some close calls with, think now is about the time he might be you know as vulnerable as ever i mean since the early season you know this time of year is his stomach is what's going to get him killed um so those food sources definitely you know are key in the late season if you have one of those you're in business um i guess i should start by saying that in the late season i've noticed that evenings are you know your best time Mm -hmm. to to get in there you know trying morning hunts can be good um 
I'd say if you're hunting in the mornings, if you have, you know, draws going up to a food source or, you know, if you, I, I guess a route of travel from a food source, that's your best bet to hunt in the mornings. Mm-hmm. It's just that it seems like, you know, you're walking in, you're walking in in the, in the winter, you know, those early mornings are so still and oftentimes you have snow on the ground, you know, it's just so hard to get into some of these places that you want to hunt in the late season in, in the morning and, you know, it just seems like the deer are moving in the evening so much more this time of year. So that's the number one thing I wanted to touch on is the evenings are, you know, your best bet. You know, if you're one of those guys who you do like hunt mornings, you know, you're trying to make the most of it. Just I'd say the biggest thing is be dang careful getting into where you're wanting to hunt because it's, like I said, going to be close to a food source. And if you bump something out of there in the morning, it can mess it up for a while. Yeah. Um, one interesting thing I really wanted to touch on for this late season stuff was I got to give my my friend Josh Flaster credit for this one. He made a really interesting point a while back. He said in the late season, something he's really noticed when deer are going to these food sources is, you know, oftentimes at the, the you know, front part of some of these cold fronts and the back part are, where, are when deer are moving the most, obviously. And it, he, he said that when a cold front's coming in and the temperature's dropping, he's noticed that if you have a source that has a grain, you know, that still has soybeans in or, or mm-hmm. corn, the deer seem to concentrate there. And on the back side of these fronts, you know, maybe when the temperatures are warming up a little bit, the wind's not blowing, the sun's shining, they're going to green food sources like rye or alfalfa. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've really noticed that since, since he said that, you know, I've tried to pay attention to it. And that's just something to keep in mind. You know, I, I don't know if it's because the corn and beans you know offer higher calories and they know they're not going to be moving as much when you know these fronts are rolling through you know mm-hmm. you get a two three day snowstorm i mean if they're trying to load up on grain and calories but it makes i mean a lot of sense and now that he said that you know it has a lot of truth to it so i guess that's another thing if you know you have multiple types of food sources you know when these fronts are coming in temperatures are dropping might be a better idea to hunt around you know corn bean fields whereas you know when it's a little bit nicer day they might be on rye or alfalfa so yeah. a little bit greener and why that is i i don't know but you know I, like i said there's a lot of yeah. truth to it i've noticed it since he's, he's made that point but but no um like i said late season if you have a it is a <coughs> it's a great time to pattern deer their bucks are looking to refuel after the rut mm-hmm. um a lot of people talk about the second rut i've not a lot you know what experience with the second rut you know some of those younger does the does didn't that didn't get bred or didn't take the first time are going back into heat yeah you see a little bit of it um you know i don't know if i would necessarily call it a rut you know yeah it's not like yeah i'm trying to think if i've honestly seen bucks chasing later in the year and i I don't know that i really have per se but not um, really people talk about it something to keep in mind you know like i said a lot of those younger does going to heat a little bit later um other than that you know hunting the late season can be good but it's also very challenging in a way that you know you're going to deal with weather you got to think about how you're gonna you know layer when you're going in there you know a big (laughs) thing in the late season is you know i struggle with it a lot is getting your bow drawn Mm -hmm. you know you go in there you decide you're going to sit for three hours be like oh i'm going to put on all these layers it's going to help me stay in the tree longer but you don't think about you sit there for a while you get stiff you go to draw your bow there's no leaves to cover you 
it's an easy way to get busted. You know, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to draw in the late season, in, in my opinion, anyways. So it's yeah. something to keep in mind when you're going into your stand. I like to go in, you know, with as minimal layers as possible and just slowly add them as I'm sitting there if I absolutely need to. So that that way, you know, if I'm ready to draw when deer come through. But, but yeah, like I said, you got to tag still in your pocket in my opinion this can be some of the best hunting if you've got food sources and you've got you know it's a great time to pattern a buck trying to refuel after these last few weeks where he's been on the run constantly so. mm-hmm. yeah no I, I haven't hunted in late season past couple years i guess and um but yeah no it, it always is just a fun time with the snow on the ground it is and, uh, some of my favorite yeah the uh um, you know, I think you made a good point just in, I think really concentrating on food sources and, and being close to food sources, yep. especially when it's really cold, those deer are not going to go very far. Absolutely. Um, that's, so that's something to really keep in mind is if, you know, you got a good, um, cornfield, whatever, right close to some bedding yeah. area, that's where they're going to be. Food is so. absolutely 100% going to be yep. a big determination of your success this mm-hmm. time of year and you know i guess if you aren't hunting a food source the positive thing is you're probably gonna have snow if you know if you're hunting these creek bottoms where you can find some tracks and find mm-hmm. what trails they're using so yep you can make adjustments to that find a heavily used trail where they're moving through the snow and get a stand hung up there so yeah definitely well great well thanks Zach. let's get some good good info there so yeah excellent so um with that we'll uh we'll move into our the main event here with uh brian barney so we'll get get ready to go with that so all right guys we got brian barney on here this evening um brian you want to just go ahead and introduce yourself yeah so um brian barney like how do i introduce myself i guess i'm just like a blue collar guy but i just fell in love with uh, bow hunting and bow hunting western game and adventure hunting and so like i started to travel around and started to find these different mountain ranges different places and and started to bow hunt these different places and then pretty soon i was able to get some of my work published in eastman's hunting journal and bow hunting journal and well, I, I sent those guys an email and said, hey, I'd love to write some pro staff articles for you. And so they gave me a shot at writing a, a pro staff article. And I think I've been writing for him now for probably close to 15 years. And then yeah, a handful of years ago, I started a podcast. So I teamed up with Eastman's. It's Eastman's Elevated. And uh, so we do a weekly podcast on there. Um, gosh, they got me on the filming side of things, so I do a little bit of that, but man, just trying to live life to the fullest and bow hunt as many days as I can, you know? Yeah, you bet. Um, Brian, where are you located at? Tell us just a little bit about yourself, personally, family, all that stuff. Yeah, so I'm located in Ennis, Montana, and I've been in Ennis, Montana for about 20 years or so so i grew up in the pacific northwest um so i grew up like hunting blacktails hunting roosevelt elk out there and um yeah as i as i grew older like i started to look at these different places and these opportunities that the west had so 
I pretty much just picked a place on a map that I heard was good elk hunting and like thought, Ennis, Montana, that looks really good. And so I think originally I wanted to move to Bozeman, but I had some contacts here in Ennis and then, um, yeah, able to get a job here. And kind of um, as I got over here in Ennis, Montana, I just immersed myself in the outdoors. Like any time that could be spent, you know, bow hunting, rifle hunting, uh, shed hunting, bear hunting, um, you name it, I was doing it, like just being outdoors and immersing myself and just learning and getting better at it. But so now I reside here. I've got uh, a wife. Um, we've been together for a bunch of years. Don't, don't quiz me on the exact number. And we've got <laughs> two daughters. So, um, my daughters are 16 and 12. And so, um, yeah, we're just raising a little family here in Ennis. I run a little construction company I've had for years, just like four employees. And then, yeah, run that podcast and some different things and keep busy. That's awesome. It, I always enjoy hearing about your construction business, Brian, on the podcast and stuff. I don't know why I just it kind of hits home with, with me and I don't know, Zach would probably agree. Just like, you know, you're just a, like you say, you're just a blue collar guy, man. You're just out there just like, you know, Zach or I or any other, anybody else that's listening, just, you know, making a living and going hunting whenever you can. So I just, I really appreciate that. So. Oh, that's really cool to hear. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it guys. Um, I, you, uh, you just mentioned your daughter. Um, I, we just, I just finished listening today to your, uh, your late season mule deer tactics. Um, and it sounded like you had a real good hunt with, uh, with your daughter. Do you want to just touch on that just real briefly? Yeah, um, for sure. So my two daughters have got into hunting and so, um, you know, it's, it's just catering the experience for them and trying to share what we love so much with them. And you almost get out there and you wish for encounters more than you do. Even when you're by yourself, you just want them to get that excitement to see a buck through the scope or to be able to have one in the crosshairs and be the hunter. And they definitely tagged along on a ton of summer hiking and scouting and, you know, uh, hunting, you know, I take them bow hunting quite a bit and, and actually hunted with my youngest daughter bow hunting this year uh, for antelope. We spent a couple days doing that together, but she got um, in Montana at 10 years old. We have a mentorship program where you can mentor a young hunter and you can actually take them out before they go through hunter safety and see if they like it. Um, they get two years of that. So last year was her first year. We were able to go out locally, find a, a deer. She made a great shot on it. It was, it was awesome because we, you know, it, it was like an adventure, you know, it was in the swamp at night with the headlamp, you know, and then she's just so proud of that deer every time we take it out and cook it. So this year I promised her we were going to go like on an even bigger adventure hunt. And so we traveled like, oh, it's probably six or seven hours away from my house here into this mule deer mecca, this spot I have that I've developed for the last dozen years or so that I know really well. And, um, they're, they're just like, it's almost pre-rut action. And so we kind of plan our days and man, with the schedule with basketball and volleyball and um, school and weekend activities and everything, you have friends. And so it's really tough to like get those days. And so we had set our days and when we went down there, it was like bitter cold, you know, it was, it was (laughs) Montana winter. It was, um, I can't remember the exact temperature. It seems like it's been cold everywhere I went this year, but it was as gnarly as anywhere I've been. It was, you know, 
maybe five, 10 degrees wind blowing, you know, but we just brought her layers and dressed up for it. But it's, it's an absolute adventure. So we were truck camping. So, you know, we'll graduate to backpack hunting and, and hunt in the wilderness. But for now, like a back, like a truck hunt with your dad out in the middle, you know, you got 300 square miles and just disappearing out there in a pickup, pickup truck, you know, sleeping underneath the stars, and um, surviving out there, you know, cooking food out of the cooler. And so, like, I, I think it's a really cool experience I get to share with her. And, like, along with that, like, just spending that one-on-one time and that driving time out there, you get to have these in-depth conversations, you know, with your daughter that it seems like you, you like, like you just scratch the surface at the house or whatever, but you get on one of those one-on-ones, you know, you can get on more of a personal level. So it's really cool for me. We got out there. We um, saw some deer made some play at some different deer and, and a really nice buck we had found. Um, he gave us the slip and then um, she got a play on a really nice four point. It was a bachelor herd of bucks, like five bucks and uh, super cold morning. We made a play on them, circled around, like had the wind dry. It, it was snowing and cold, but uh, we were both warm enough. We had her hand warmers and foot warmers. And of course you bring your kids, you've got snacks and treats and why, you know, everything you need and more, but um, we made a play on that four point box. She got a good rest aim. And I work with my kids a lot, like on shooting positions. We do a lot of dry fire practice, you know, getting a, a prone, uh, sitting, uh, uh, shooting offhand, you know, acquiring your target. Because for us guys that have been hunting for so long, it's like second nature. But to these kids, they just like even shooting, you know, 22s growing up, even shoot guns, still that that target acquisition, that rest aim. And so you try to like teach these really good lessons through that and then live fire practice. But we got a good rest aim on that four point, got her on the sticks, a shot she could make shot and that buck kicked and there was all snow all the way around. I think she must've just shot right underneath him and he kicked. And so I wasn't sure, but I was watching right through the binos. I said, I think you missed kid. And so we went up there track the box for a long time no blood at all never touched him which is a great thing you know you don't want a, a negative experience and then yeah i just told her you know keep your head up she was a little down and and then we were able to glass the uh infamous two by one <laughs> it was bigger than her one by one from last year <laughs> perfect <laughs> so we were able to watch this buck in the snowstorm and he was walking away and he kind of disappeared and i said oh, i bet he betted right there katie let, like let's go see if we can get on him and so we made a play on him and got out there and he was bedded got her on the sticks got her set up and the buck kind of got up at that point and then yeah she made a good shot on him and um pretty killer to see yeah she was pretty excited fun to see her with buck fever and fun to see like help you know like uh the the butchering process and the dragging back and the whole deal so yeah it's just really neat to share with my kids and i'm just i'm just fortunate that they take part and still come with their dad absolutely yeah no that's <clears throat> that's awesome i i really enjoy that brian that's that's pretty cool man excellent so um well let's uh let's just kind of jump into some of this stuff brian i just have a few things kind of bullet point items i just wanted to touch on so um, and Zach, just like I said, feel free to jump in anytime here. If um, I guess, the, so we're kind of going to touch on some high country mule deer tactics, I guess, is is the main thing. Um, and, you know, I'd mentioned before we started recording here, you know, I mean, you know, we have mule deer here in Nebraska, of course, but, um, you know, not, we don't really obviously hunt them necessarily the same way, like, you know, I like you would in a high country setting and backpacking sort of trip. 
Um, Brian, can you just kind of, this is a very broad question. I understand that, but just maybe do the best you can just talk us through, like, what's your general strategy? Like, you know, when you're thinking about going someplace, like what, you know, what types of things are you looking at? Um, you know, and just, I guess, run from there and we'll just go with that. So, yeah. So, um, the high country thing is pretty fun. Like I like, like hunting mule deer and all their different habitats and, and, but the like the the high country, I mean, you hunt a, you get to hunt them in alpen basins where where goats and sheep live or should live, and sometimes they're above the goats, but they just live in the highest features up in these bold basins and avalanche shoots. It's just neon green, and the reason they live up there, they migrate, and they're a migrating mountain deer. And there's different subspecies of mule deer throughout the United States, and some of the bucks that i've killed have been 160 pounds these big mountain mule deer they tend to be closer to 300 pounds they're just giant bodied mule deer and they migrate you know from their winter range up to that high country and the high country it's cooler up there uh the the food has uh such a great uh, nutritional value in that summertime it's it's all that green stuff growing off the snow melt and so it's like a real special place to hunt them, you know, that usually you have to backpack in and carry everything you need to hunt them. And those, those mule deer, like they grow big ones up there. Like the, the bucks of your dreams, the, the ones that you think about nonstop, they're on our public lands throughout in different units. They're just slick. Like the, like a 200 inch mule deer is one of the most prized trophies in the West and they live in every state. And, and there's so many tags for them, but very rarely do they get harvested. You know, they just um, they have really keen, good instincts. And so, up in that high country is a really fun experience and place to hunt them. And like I say, stickers and kickers and wide ones and um, just beautiful big mule deer up there. And so, like I started specializing in this high country mule deer just for that experience. Like I thought I was a sheep hunter for a while, and then like I like. My, my numbers on my taxes just didn't quite equal out what I needed to go on these sheep hunts or even think about a doll <laughs> or a stone. And then, you know, I'd love to hunt a bighorn or a desert. I've been putting in my whole life. I've never drawn a tag, but high country mule deer, I can go every year and get a tag somewhere in some state. And so, like, I've gotten pretty good at, at looking at the habitat that I want you know, going to find mule deer. But, you know, when I first started, you know, there wasn't much literature out there and there wasn't as much information. But I would say, like, you can study up on good rifle units, good bow units. You can look at historical, like I'll look at, at uh, Pope and Young um, entries. They'll tell you the county they came from. And then you can correlate that county, um, you know, with the tag available, uh, Boone and Crockett. And so, I was always looking for an opportunity at these these big giant bucks that I have dreamed about. And so like I started looking at Boone and Crockett and you look at the entries and then you look at this county and this county has, you know, whatever, 52 Boone and Crockett entries. And it's like, and it's all high country. And through there, I was like, oh, that's a pretty good spot to start. And I've noticed that, you know, historic spots that have always been good mule deer hunting are still good mule deer hunting. It's it's just these bucks are really good at avoiding human pressure. Um, they're really tough to harvest with the bow. Seems like they're one step in front of you, but there's great spots throughout the United States. And so I kind of start breaking it down. I start looking for a unit, and then I just start surfing Google Earth and kind of looking at the mountain ranges, you know, and how they lay out and how I can glass them. I definitely like more open terrain, more open, bold basins. 
Um, so, so that's what I, that's kind of my starting point, I would say for high country mule deer spots. Excellent. Um, what, uh, what would you say some of your favorite states, um, if, if a guy was looking to, you know, go, go on their first hunt, what, what, what kind of places was you, would you suggest or, um, or, or where, what's uh, what would be a good starting point for, for somebody thinking about doing one of these hunts, Brian? Yeah. Great question. Yeah, there's. And I, mean, I don't want uh, you to give up your secret spots, obviously, but uh, you know. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to give you any waypoints. Oh, anything, okay, all right. Yeah, all right. No, I can <laughs> definitely give you a synopsis of states. Yeah. No, there's a bunch of. They're all good, man. I've harvested a mule deer in nearly every western state. I haven't been to your guys' state yet, which um, you guys have me on the podcast. I've got to make it out there. But I would say, like, like Colorado is so good. Colorado for zero and one point units and two point units, you can get into some awesome mule deer country. And especially when you're traveling from afar, you know, it's not a bad idea to put in for, for like when your first mule deer hunt, you want to make sure you have a quality experience. Like you, I don't know that you can risk it and go there and not find any mule deer. You want to go to a spot that has a bunch of mule deer in it where you're going to see box, glass box, get the stock box, get the experience. And so I'd say for your first mule deer hunt, like you can go in zero point units and find really good mule deer and really good mule deer populations. But, you know, I'd say you get one, two points, you're into the money in Colorado. There's a bunch of good units in there good high country mule deer and mule deer that'll you know surpass your wildest dreams in there and they have epic high country just 13 14,000 foot peaks so a little research in in Colorado I mean I love Nevada Nevada I mean some of those spots and easy to draw units that I put in for in Nevada I'm pretty aggressive with my with my application in Nevada but I mean they're mule deer they're like rabbits there is so many bucks in there like I you know there's a lot of times all glass you know, in scouting, I'll glass a hundred bucks a day. And it seems like a ton of bucks, but looking over all those features, there's so many of them. Every basin in there has at least got a group of, you know, 20, 25 bucks in there. So Nevada is another good one. Great populations. Uh, my biggest buck came from Utah. Some of those Utah general areas. Like I'd like to find, I hunted some, some wilderness spots in Utah. One of the nice things about Utah. So, um, I killed a giant, like 210 inch buck out of Utah, out of the back country there. But some of those tags you can put in for there, if you don't kill your buck, you can come back during the rut and you can hunt the Wasatch front. So Utah residents probably won't be too happy, but there's a lot of tags that you can hunt early. And if you don't kill your buck, you can come back during the rut. So, I mean, Utah's great. Um, you know, Idaho seems to be a little tougher for high country mule deer, you know, um, I, uh, I've, I've scouted a lot, hunted a lot. Montana's a little tougher. Like we have high country mule deer, but there's only a couple mountain ranges and our elk really compete for the same food source and kind of rock tops. So they're not great ones. Uh, Wyoming has awesome mule deer hunting. Wyoming's a great place for a rifle tag too. Uh, the, the bow tag, you actually have to draw the rifle tag, but, um, they have great hunting. I hunted Wyoming last year. Um, so I mean, really, you know, I'd say as we come down to it, yeah, for high country, I'd say Colorado, I'd say, you know, uh, Utah, Nevada, and I'd say, um, Wyoming, you know, around those four States tend to be pretty good and there's good good mule deer hunting in arizona and new mexico too but not much of the high country at least i haven't found it yet you know absolutely i think all those states 
I mean, you see these high country bucks getting killed. I mean, I mean, you pretty much hit all of them there. Um, you talked a little bit about if you don't kill your buck early, coming back later in the year. Um, what's what's a little bit of the behavior of these deer? You say early season, you know, when I often see you hunting them when they're in velvet, you know, when the grass is still green and everything. How does that compare to maybe later in the season? You know, how do tactics change their bedding areas, their behavior? Maybe touch on that a little bit. Yeah, so um, early season for a bow hunter is one of your best opportunities to harvest a mature buck. So they're running in bachelor herds. They have a lax summer attitude. Um, they're they're out in the open more. They're out during the middle of the day more. They're running with other bucks early in the summer during scouting. They have red coats on, which really make them easy to glass. As it starts getting later and into the season, you know, the, a lot of the bigger and older bucks will get their gray coats. But there's still some real early seasons in Nevada where they they let you hunt August 10th or Utah. They let you hunt August 15th. Those are great early season dates. Um, yeah, they just have a, a lax summertime attitude. They're hanging with bachelor crews. They're feeding on the the highest um, the highest basins up there. Uh, they 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 like to live in small areas. So you know, if they get a habit or they get a place they like, they're not going to move far. And so. Um, it's a really good opportunity for a bow hunter. You just have to get up there and live where humans aren't meant to live. You know, you got to get up and live in the peaks, in the mountains, and you got to climb a ton of vertical every day. And the deal is, is those bucks are in bachelor crews, but, you know, most of the time there isn't a bachelor crew in every basin. So you might have to look at 10 basins before you find the one that has the bucks in it, you know? And so. Um, you, you got to be able to, to travel country up there, but the early season is a great opportunity to kill a big one. Now, as, as pressure starts to come in, there's more and more guys that are bow hunting. As the season gets later, as they rub their velvet around September 5th or so, they go um, into like secondary living. They go into like the, the next phase. So I would say that goes from their summer phase and then they go into their pre-rut phase. And their pre-rut, they're a lot tougher to hunt. Um, you know, and this year in Wyoming, I didn't get there until the 5th, and I hunted it nine days until it opened for rifle, and, and it was off the hook hunting, but these deer were in secondary living. A lot of them had rubbed their velvet, some still were in velvet, but they drop off the peaks. They drop off like a 1,000 feet in elevation or so, and they're still in super gnarly, rough and rugged country. Like, they're in rocky avalanche shoots they're in little opens little slides they're still not an easy country to get to but they just move on the next phase down the mountain and part of that is scraping their velvet off they, they want to get more secluded they, they start tightening up their program they show themselves less during the middle of the day and only at first light and last light really short windows and, and some of this too is because the feed is burns off up high so it can happen at different times throughout that beginning of september but they start to drop down and then they get tougher to hunt because they aren't showing themselves as much and then you know they've just got so much cover in there so it's more like that it, it's partly the buck's behavior but it's also they drop down in tougher country to hunt them where there's more cover more little slides it's tougher to keep track of them and so the early season a lot of times you're trying to shoot a buck in his bed get to where you know he is have him work out of his bed as it gets a little bit later in the season like we're still glassing up these bucks but they're putting away in a big timber patch and so i don't know exactly where that buck is 
I just kind of know where he beds. And so now my play for the day is to get up there with a good win and wait for him to come out in the afternoon or evening and try to kill him then to where early season, they're just going to get up throughout the day and give you chances at them. And so you get fewer windows of opportunity and a lot tougher country to hunt them. And, and then, you know, from there you go in, you know, that pre-rut, Right, is, right before it kicks into the rut, right around November 1st, I find some really good hunting as these bucks start to stage and start to travel country. And then, you know, not all of them will be with does, but there's a couple big boys that will start to be with does. And then, you know, gets into the rut season, which, you know, I love the rut season and killed a really nice buck here in Montana this year. And then I've been hunting up. Uh, on a different state as well here the last couple weekends getting after him and got some really good hunt last sunday four chances on a couple different bucks but couldn't make it happen in the deep snow and, and cold but that's kind of like the different seasons in 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 habits of mule deer i would say kyle nice um <clears throat> uh brian real quick um you you kind of mentioned i guess it doesn't have to be real quick but <laughs> um you, you talked um you, you mentioned glassing um, and you know, we, you know, we, we do some, I mean, we, I say we do some glassing in Nebraska, Zach, but, um, you know, we don't do it quite to the extent I think it, as you do, you know, in the mountains. No, I mean, um, you might, you might hike up on a hill and glass for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, but you're not sitting there for hours at a time, you know, like up in high country, like yep, you said. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you guys kind of like cruise through that coolie country and you almost have to walk walk through it to expose new country to look through there's not like one point that shows off all those coolies and canyons that those deer go in right yep exactly right yep yep yeah no i would say the i think the the coolie country that you you know i hear you talk a lot about that on the podcast i think that's probably very similar to what we think about when we talk about the sand hills of nebraska which is kind of the middle to western ish part of the state um where I was, where I was kind of going with that was, um, would you just touch a little bit on, um, you know, tell us what your approach is, you know, when you're picking apart country, looking for mule deer specifically, like, um, you know, what, what, uh, what types of things are you, or, you know, what, what's your approach? Where are you looking during what times of day? Those types of things, I guess, if you, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the mountains, like, um, or any place I hunt, it's just live and die behind my glass. And even hunting where you guys do, like, I'm sure, like, as you guys hike your way through it, every little new piece of country you're looking with your binos and exposing. And, and like, I found years ago, like, hunting elk, elk are so nomadic by nature. And so it was like the more country I could look over, the more elk I could locate, and then I could go hunt them. And I started really believing in this this live and die behind my glass and especially in the mountains like um you know you just don't spook anything working through and you're able to spot them and then make this this plan methodical stock and go get close and so like like when i'm glassing in the mountains like a lot of times when i'm looking at maps and i'm planning my hunt like i'm looking for spots that i can see a lot of country from I, i'm not you know and i'll look i'll see basins that look bucky but the first thought in my my mind is how can i see it how can i get a position on the mountain where i can see it and there's like a grain looking into country like okay if you're on a hillside and you're trying to glass through the trees you just can't see much little openings but all of a sudden, if you get on the other side of the canyon, glass across, that whole thing lays out to you, and you could see if there was any deer moving on it. So in the high country, 
you know, you've got to find these bucks and bucks like where, where bucks like, like I can do all the research off Google earth. I can do all, you know, this, this e-scouting and figure out where I think's Bucky and where I think bucks are. But the deal is, is like, I got to go get there and put in the boot leather and I got to go look at that feature and then I'll get there and either there's bucks there or there's not. And then I got to move on to the next one, you know? And so I just have this plan of all this different country that I want to look at. And sometimes it's like one backpack spot where I'll go in there for, you know, seven days or sometimes like I'm just going to make a three day assault here. Then I'm going to come out and I'm going to go to a new spot and do a three day assault. But whatever it is, I just try to get up and I try to, um, you know, at the, the best times of the day, you know, the first light and last light. And even if that means hiking in the dark, I try to be on these master vantage points, I call it. And it's just where you can see over as many different mule deer features, as many different meadows as you can. And in that first light, you're catching those deer and those bucks coming out of feeding features. So little isolated meadows, little, you know, bigger meadows and open hillsides. Um, but you're not really glassing the timber so hard at that first and last light. You're just panning through all these openings and you're just trying to catch these deer. And then once you see one, you know, then you can get your scope on it. You can evaluate it. If it's one you want, you keep your eye on them. You know, if it's not one you want, then you keep looking around. And so just picking out these deer and it's funny, like you talk about, like you hike to a hill and you look for 15 minutes so I can hike to a master vantage point, and sometimes I can be in the best mule deer spot in the world, and I hike to that vantage point, and I glass around, and I don't see a mule deer. But as I sit there for an hour, and I let things just move around and move through meadows, you just pick out different groups and different bucks. They kind of expose themselves. So I try to really sit on these spots and really look around, and I'm, you know, it depends at how much country I can see, how many deer I'm seeing. You know, sometimes, you know, I will only sit for 20 minutes on a vantage point, or like all countries different, just like your sand hill country and my coolie country or even the high country for that matter. Sometimes there just isn't a real good feature to see it where you just got to hike along the ridge line and then like, you know, every couple hundred yards, you got to glass down in there and get a different angle or you might go to the next peak. And so I'll do like a mobile vantage point too, where I'm working ridge lines and I'm glassing around, but it just seems like when I always, when I sit down and I really pan through thing a hillside. I really pick it apart. Like then I kind of know, you know, what's there and what deer are moving. So I just try to live and die behind my glass. And if you, if you'd ever, if you ever come hunting with me, you'll see that my glass just never leaves my eyes. Everywhere we're hiking, everywhere in camp, anywhere we stop, any place we, I'm always looking for deer. They can just pop out of a meadow anywhere. And so I'm just always panning around, always just binos to my eyes. And sometimes you can actually see animals better with your own vision up close, like not even binos, but just picking apart a hillside with your eyes. And so, man, I'm just always on the look because to, to kill a big buck, you got to find a big buck. And to find a big buck, I got to be behind my binos. So that's kind of like the way I approach it. Sounds like a great strategy. You talked a little bit about, you know, hiking into the back country, you know, and spending seven days there, three days there at a time. And, um, you know, when we muley hunt here, you're just going out for the day. So what, what gear do you take up there with, you, you know, when you're up there for say a week at a time, you know, and like talk about maybe temperatures, what the weather's like up there and how that affects what gear you take. You know, I realize you're probably trying to stay lightweight when you're staying up there that long and you're backpacking in there. Um, and, and like, as far as optics go, you know, is, 
you know, anything from like clothing to optics, maybe touch on a little bit what gear you're taking up there with you when you go on these week-long trips. Yeah, so, um, yeah, to be a backpacker, you have to be a minimalist. And you make that mistake. It seems like every year I make the mistake, again, bring too much gear on the first trip and then lighten up from there. But every time I go on a backpacking trip, I lay out my backpack and think, what can I get rid of? So I am a minimalist. A pound on, like a pound on your back, it just wears you out, like as you're hiking around the mountains. Like you're climbing so many vertical feet. Like Everest, they only let you climb 3,000 vertical feet a day. And we're doing that in the mountains plus miles, and it just wears on a guy. And like I always say, the equalizers are elevation and weight on your back. And so, like, I'm always trying to pack as light as I can. I mean, that being said, you got to have the necessary gear to be able to survive around there. So, usually, I can do about 10 days, you know, all my food, like one thing of water to get in there. And then, like, I do that for about 45 pounds. If I'm doing five days, I'm around 40. You know, three days I can do about 35, and that's with my scope, my tripod. So muley hunting, I always have my scope and my tripod. Um, if you're just looking for a good four-point or a decent buck, you know, you can usually tell with your binos, but that scope is so valuable for, like, ju- field-judging mule deer. And then, like, if you see some three miles off, like, looking to see if there's a buck you want to go kill or not before you got to walk all the way over there. And so I <laughs> always hunt mule deer with my scope. Now – um, I, you know, I used to hunt them with a 60 millimeter. So it's a 20 by 60 by 60. So 20 by 60 is the power of the zoom. And then the 60 millimeter at the end, or maybe it's 65, excuse me, but that's the objective lens. So that's how big the front lens is. Now I love my big glass. I've got an 85 mil objective lens on one of my scopes and I love big glass, but man, it's just heavy. Like, so I like like a lot of these um, uh, mini scopes and things like um, 33 objective, uh, 11 by you know, 50 objective, 11 by 33 yeah. uh, zoom on it. Like, I think Vortex like makes one of those, right, Brian? That I, I'm pretty sure I. Yeah, doesn't Vortex make one that, that that's yeah, exactly what you're talking about? But yeah, that make some of these mini ones, man, and I can see everything I need to see with them, and they're lightweight. It's a pound and a half instead of three and a half or four pounds you know so that helps out so yeah for guys looking for scopes those things are killer and then like tripod and a tripod is all about finding one that is stable enough there's so there's a fine line on tripods so tripods the lighter you go the more chintzy they are the heavier you go the more stable that you are so you got to find your own personal level of what you can live with out there and see everything you need to see mine weighs a pound and a half i think i'm running like a little i don't it's like a it might be like a vortex like ss summit something like that mm-hmm. it's, a, it's about the perfect fit for me like a, you know it it, it's good it does well i try i have a million in my closet or not a million but i probably have a half dozen in there that i've tried you know but so i always have my scope and my tripod and then when you're living with days off your back um you just need your core system so you need a sleep system um usually a tent i use like a bivy tent which is a combination between a bivy sack and tent basically it's just a single wall tent you deal with a little condensation at times but if you manage it you're fine and it's just a 
my shelter weighs a pound and a half, so it's super light. And, and you don't have to buy everything at once. It's something where you just kind of use the gear you have and upgrade as you can. Um, sleeping bag, you know, usually on the majority of my hunts, I'm running a 15 degree. And that 15 degree, I'm running like a like it's a, a marmot, uh, marmot hydrogen, I think it's called. It's a 15 degree. And then if I wear my puffy pants and my puffy jacket, like I can survive to zero degree weather. I've also got, you know, little goose down booties that I'll wear, you know, if it gets super cold in there. So I run that. A mattress is an absolute must. The mattress insulates you from the ground, so you want an insulated mattress. And, man, like my sleep is so important at night to, like, um, uh, just to my sanity. I hate having an uncomfortable mattress. I just don't get my sleep. And, and then, you know, these, these hunts are so tough on you and then stack, you know, sleep deprivation on top of it, like, like there's a reason the military uses that as a form of torture. You know, it makes it <laughs> miserable. So yeah. like, um, I use a. Uh, I just got a new mattress. I was using a Sea to Summit Comfort Plus. That's a good one. And then I just switched and went with a Big Angus. And it's a Big Angus two and a half inch insulated model. It's it's not the warmest. It's supposed to be insulated to 15 degrees. They say. So, you know, I've been a little cold as it dips below 15, but, oh, is it a comfortable mattress, you know? So, like, you just got to find your mix again, and they may make one that's good to zero degree or something like that. So, you got your sleep system, you got your tent, your sleeping bag, and and your mattress. So, that's what's going to keep you alive up there. As far as clothing, you don't bring anything extra. There's no extra pants, there's no extra anything, maybe one pair of underwear, maybe a pair of socks or two. And then you just have your system of clothing that you wear. You have, you know, a pair of long johns, you've got a pair of pants, and then on your upper layer, you got, you know, a lightweight hoodie that'll cover you from the sun. You've got a heavyweight hoodie to insulate you, puffball jacket, rain, rain jacket. And like, that's it. Like you just minimalist, man. You just can't bring a bunch of stuff back there or you'll end up 60 pounds and you'll never end up in good mule deer habitat because you can't make it there because you weigh too much. It's got to be light. It's got to be minimalist, you know. So I bring that stuff, bring a little cook stove. And then as far as food, like I don't use any of the, the freeze dried stuff anymore. I just eaten too many of those things where, um, you know, they'll kind of mess with your system. They do okay for a couple of them, but I just – I've been backpacking too many days where I just can't eat them anymore. So, like, I just run a mix of different foods that I can bring in. It's usually around 3,000 calories a day, usually about a pound and a half. And then a little lightweight stove uh, so I can cook. And then I always have coffee. That makes me feel human in the mountains. And then um, and then I run a water filter. And there's a, a water purification. I run a little light. Uh, been running it for the last few years. And then I have some iodine tablets as backup. Uh, but you need to purify your water up there. You can get Jardia or Beaver Fever. Um, I've had Jardia before. It's no fun. And uh, But they make lightweight pumps. They make lights and so have a little filter on there. And then I have like, you know, two – I have two of like Nalgene water bottles and then usually like a 100-ounce bladder so I can really carry – three days worth of water a lot of that mule deer hunting is hunting away from water it's another way to like separate yourself from the people because those mule deer they get the their water from from the their food source that green lush food source with the dew on it in the morning you hardly ever see a mule deer drink they just get all their water from their food source up there so they live at the top of the mountain where they don't need water um, but us as humans do, and so sometimes you got to pack a couple days worth of water so you can live on the top. 
Um, so that's about my gear list. I got my pack. I wear my boots. Um, sometimes gaiters can be nice to keep you dry. Some guys like rain pants. Um, I bring in like a puffball pants to keep me warm on the vantage point, And then they're pretty waterproof. They work pretty good to keep me dry if the grass is wet. Maybe a pair of gaiters, something like that. But that's about my system. Try to keep it as minimalist as I can and as light as I can. Are you still running tennis shoes, Brian? <laughs> I've heard you talk about that on the podcast. A bunch. Yeah. Um, I do. I had a lightweight pair of boots this year that I really like. So I ran tennis shoes in Colorado. And then in Wyoming, I went to boots. Um, uh, just there was more rain, uh, more water. I felt like I was going to have wet feet the whole time. And so I went with like a low cut boot. But man, pound on your foot is like 10 on your back you think like in a day of mountain hunting you take 20,000 steps or 40,000 steps well think of one extra pound on your boots you just lifted an extra 40,000 pounds so like the lighter you can run your shoes and still have the support you need to be able to side hill and get around just the better off you are and so yeah I've gone totally the other way where I'll go I'll wear tennis shoes into some of these mountain hunts and cruising there. And I do a lot of trail running and have tough ankles, but yeah, I definitely preach like, and I stay away from those big mountain boots, man. I just like, I just, the lighter, the better for me. Cause I just know the exertion level on my legs. Yeah. No, I just, I remember I, when I, uh, I heard that, I don't remember. I was on a podcast. You were talking about that one time. And I just remember being like, I just, I don't know, it just blew my mind that, that you were wearing tennis shoes up on the mountains. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just well, like, holy cow, man. They're really sneaky but, to stock in, too. Sure, like, yeah. way better yeah. than a cloggy boot with those tough edges. And so tennis shoes, you can kind of feel the ground and, you know, you're just uh, you're a little bit more sneaky in them, too. That's another reason I like them. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Excellent. Um, well, geez, that's some excellent information um (laughs) thank you brian so much um i guess uh there's just a couple other bullet points you anything to add on that zach or no i don't think so okay yeah you kind of touched on everything um just uh not even giving you guys a chance to talk oh no asking the the right questions and i i I keep elaborating um it's just it's such an exciting way to hunt you know and so yeah it's really cool like um you know, anybody across the U.S. can plan one of these trips. It's like a blue-collar adventure, you know, and, and it's just waiting for all of us out there. It's on public land. It doesn't cost much money. It just takes commitment and, and deciding that's what you want to do and what you decide, what you want to experience. And, man, it, it's out there for all of us, which is the neat thing about it. Yeah. Um, I guess something we should we should touch on, Brian, that I know you harp on a lot um, is uh, – Talk a little bit of just about um, physical fitness. Um, I know that, uh, you know, that's definitely something that, um, like I said, you really, um, you know, talk a lot about and, and I think is very important, especially, you know, if somebody is wanting to do something like this. And, and like I said, you know, here in Nebraska, you know, it, you know, I, I know some guys have been out and been on, you know, high country mule deer hunts and stuff. And, um, but, uh, you know, it's a, just a whole other ball game. So I, I think, would you just, you know, kind of touch on that a little bit and talk about kind of your, your strategy as far as, you know, keeping yourself fit and, and what types of things you're doing there? Yeah. So, um, it is like out West, these mountains, they're so demanding, you know, that, that doing one of these seven or 10 day hunts and trying to kill a, a buck in the high country back in there, like, 
you know, it's it's tougher than any marathon or ultra marathon I've ever ran. It's like it's it's the ultimate in endurance sports. Like it's like you're out there day after day, like a mountaineer. Uh, 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 to, to, to mountaineer and to climb a mountain, you know, you get all your gear ready and, and you roll to the trailhead, you go up and you climb that mountain, you may stay a couple days to get to the top or maybe a day and then you're out of there and you come back. Like us as backcountry bow hunters, we got to make it to those same places that 10,000 foot, 11,000 foot, 13, 14,000 in, in Colorado. And you know, to, to get up there, you, you've got a mountaineer up there and survive up there. You, you've also got to try to locate a big buck and then sneak within a stone's throw of it and stick a perfect arrow in it. Like, it's one of the toughest challenges you can take on. And so, like, just the more and more I hunted mountains, mule deer, the more and more I hunted elk, like, the better shape I was in, the more I enjoyed it, too. Like, the, 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 the tougher I could push, the more confidence I had in my body, um, you know, the more I could grind to just know that I can get myself out of any situation. I can, I can trust myself in like hunting these mountains and just being a bow hunter has made me want to be a better person. Like you, you, you want to improve your physical fitness so you can continue to hunt years in the future. So you can hunt effectively, you know, when you get your 10 days off work, you, you can grind day after day and push with that, that exertion level. And when you're in good shape, like you just make you just make better decisions too, and um, like when you're in good shape, no mountain is too far, you know. And you can, you know, you you not only have to you know go mountaineer up there and survive, find a buck, sneak within a stone's throw. Then when you kill the thing, now you've got a hundred pounds of the the best organic meat that you've got to get out of fifteen miles of the gnarliest backcountry. So like I've I've just had no choice in my life. Like I have had to focus on my fitness, and I just. I learned at a young age, like I was a wrestler and then I, I moved out here and, you know, started getting into this hunting and, and I just, I just noticed so many times where fitness played a role into trying to get to the elk to try to get back there and survive day after day. And, and I started enjoying the process of like preparing for these things. And then like, I just see the dividends. I just see that no place is too far, no bucks too tough to get out of country like I just keep exploring and keep going and I enjoy it so much more, you know, every night my body recovers. I'm never sore. I'm never fatigued. And so like, I just, sometimes it's tough to relate, you know, bow hunting to fitness level because we do, you know, we see a lot of guys that live in the gyms and, and bicep curls isn't going to do anything for your bow hunting <laughs> careers. You know, our, our fitness, like it's more of a, a dynamic fitness like where we gotta you know stick that 45 pound pack on and go grind 12 miles in the mountains and then every day up to the vantage point to try to get a stock of the buck of your dreams you do anything to kill that buck but once you're up there you can't be in any better shape you got to prepare now and put in the work now and so like i just learned that and just like um you know, there were so many instances, like not only for, for that, but even just cutting off elk or getting to a spot where it just came into play. Um, and so, you know, stalking a deer, stalking a deer is like one yoga pose after the next to try to move slowly and quietly is exhausting. And like, uh, you know, I killed a bull this year where um, I had to belly crawl. I probably a half a mile to make it to this bowl and, and just dragging yourself along the dirt with your bow in front of you. But just knowing that I got this giant wide six by eight in front of me that I do anything to harvest. And, and so I just do, 
I do what it takes, you know, and, and so fitness has always been a big part. And I think there's multiple ways to get a workout. Everybody's different. You know, um, for me, I just fell in love with trail hunting. Like I'm a smaller frame guy. I'm like five, seven, one fifty five, wet and wearing boots. And so like, I got a small frame and genetically I was just given like good joints. And I really think like the body adapts to the stress we put on it. Like, um, you see any of these old guys, like the, the best in shape old guys, the guy that's, that's really active, that's doing things all the time and the body adjusts to the stress you put on it. So if you run five miles a day, pretty soon your body's like, okay, five miles a day is normal. That's just what we do. You run 10 miles a day. It just becomes normal. People can run a marathon every single day and their bodies recover. And so like, I just fell in love with trail running. There's multiple ways to get exercise. I try to do total body workouts. Like I, you know, I've got a pull up bar here at the house and kettlebells and core exercises. And it's, I just made it a habit in my life where it's just normal. It doesn't even feel like I'm going to work out. It's just something in the morning. I do pull ups and I, you know, I do some core exercises, throw the kettlebell around a little bit. And then like throughout the day, at some point I'm going to work in a run, you know, how many miles, that depends. Some days I'm only three. Like I, I ran today in between the podcast I recorded and getting on the phone with you. I knew you said that Zach was going to be over at five thirty. I finished that podcast at four thirty. I'm still sitting in all my sweaty clothes right now. And it's dark, <laughs> and it's not even hunting season. But yeah. I've just been doing it for so many years, and throughout doing it, the other thing, Zach, it, um, the other thing it does is. Zach and Kyle started, but the other thing it does is like like making yourself work out, making yourself go do something that you don't feel like doing. Like I don't feel like running every day, but I always feel better after I get out there. And what I'm also doing is I'm also sharpening my mind. You know, I'm gaining mental strength. So now when I get on day six of a deer hunt and I haven't seen a deer. I'm going to go push over that three, five miles over to that next canyon, go see where there's one over there, you know, instead of giving up or giving in. But I just also noticed like um, discipline, making myself get in these workouts. It, it sharpens my mind and then my body. I can just always rely upon it. Nothing is too far for me. There is no mountain range too far, no deer that I see that I can't get to. Like I'll just find a way. I'll just make my way over there. Like I just – I love adventure and preparing for it. And once I'm in the moment, like that's my title fight. I've worked all year to be there. And so like, I, I'm just able to leave it all on the field and absolutely go for it. And to me, like there's no better feeling in life, man. I just love it. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more with what you said there. You know, I'm one of those who, like you said, a lot of people don't think fitness and hunting go hand in hand. And, I'm one of those who thinks it absolutely 100% does because, you know, not only are you more confident when you're in shape and you're going after these things, you know, especially on Western hunts, you know, if you're a Nebraska guy and you go out West, you're going to get your butt kicked by mountains if you aren't preparing for it. Not only that, but like you said, making, making yourself get up and, you know, go do it is going to prepare you mentally when it's, you know, day five, day six, and you, you wake up and your body's just beat up and you don't want to do it. If you're working out, you know, that's that's going to help you, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you For hit sure. the nail on the head with everything you said right there. And I, you know, if you're going to go do a Western hunt, I think fitness is definitely something you need to think about if you're going to go do something like this. But no, that, that was excellent. Um, I guess, Brian, talk a little bit about, you know, maybe what one of your most memorable hunts hunt was, you know, where it was. You know, maybe not one of your favorite kills, but, you know, just talk about some of your favorite hunts 
or if you can highlight one of them for us. Yeah, God, there's there's so much great opportunity out there. I love I love like the diversity that we can find, and like out here at West, like you know, it's it's tough to pick one because um, I I love. I love being on the hunt and in the moment and in the challenge, you know, um, like I, I was able to go to New Zealand earlier this year, which was just amazing. But us across the West, like some of the adventures that we hold, like to me, it have to be my high country mule deer is I just, I, I push my body to the limits, my mind to the limits. And I mean, even this year, I think I've killed, um, I've harvested a high country mule deer. I was on a run for like 12 or 13 years in a row across all these different Western states. I love doing it. Some years I hunt multiple states. Some years I just hunt one. Uh, it's, it's my absolute favorite. And this year in Wyoming, I, I hunted back to back states this year, Colorado, Wyoming. And um, I hunted, it was like uh, 14 or 15 days of mule deer hunting there. The, the seasons overlapped. And so I only had so many days and, went to a zero point unit in Colorado and just saw some of the most beautiful country for five days. And I pushed my limits, like really doing a lot of miles, like just hiking way into the night and, um, just like ultra marathon miles and elevation, did it with my buddy, Dan, um, ended up getting a stock on a really nice buck in there. Dan got a stock on a nice buck. Um, but the numbers just weren't there. Like, um, it was a zero point unit. And sometimes to find really good places, you got to take a risk. Like you go on these hunts, you do all your research, you think you've got a dial, and sometimes you get there and the, the deer aren't there. It's just the way it goes. It can be the winter before. It can. There's so many things that can play a factor. But to continue to find these new places across the West, you have to strike out now and again. So I'm fine with it. I went and covered a bunch of miles. We got some stocks. We did see a couple nice bucks, but just didn't see the numbers. And then we went to this like – this uh one of my spots in in wyoming that i've hunted before i've actually brought a buck out of there before and um i hunted it with my buddy dan again um gosh we went in there and uh it's such an epic hunt it's up in the high country it's just like had all the right mix for a for a grueling tough hunt with you know tough weather snow cold rain lightning storms like it just had everything adventure that i you know everything about a great adventure that i wanted to see and like um we got back there and it's 10 12 miles back or maybe more up and over the top of this big mountain range and we didn't see another hunter for nine days in wyoming and i made a play on a buck of my dreams every single day of the hunt sometimes two like they were just in that secondary living and a lot of storms were rolling in and swirling winds in some years man it takes me one stock and i've got a you know, a, a, a trophy high country mule deer on the ground, you know, some years, two, three stocks. But I mean, I, I was 10, 12 stocks deep in while I could not make it happen. But I had an absolute riot with one of my best friends and my best friend, Dan, like um, he's been my hunting buddy in a bunch of different states. He killed his best early season mule deer. He killed this one with just giant backs and just all this mass. And then, you know, Dan's such a good hunting partner, man. He hung out with me for days. He helped film we were trying to put a film together but he hung out for days i had such a great time hunting with him and i i mean really it's been this entire season like i just 
I love doing it. I love being in the moment. I mean, you asked me my favorite hunt. My favorite hunt was last Sunday. Last Sunday, like in these huge giant mountains with a foot and a half of snow, I've been <laughs> down there. This is my second trip. I hadn't got a stock on a buck yet. It's during the rut. And I'm looking for a special buck. And he doesn't have to be, you know, the biggest thing on the mountain. Just a big, mature, five, six-year-old deer you know, like 170 inch deer, somewhere right around in there. If he's a little bit short of that or a little bit heavier that I'm psyched, you know, that's the buck I'm looking for. But yeah, it's, I found a couple like, um, on my earlier trip and didn't get a stock and then went back and did a solo trip and just covered a bunch of miles in elevation. And then finally got the pay dirt on Sunday, like had located these deer, Went in early in the morning, two hours before light, below zero temperatures, windy, got up there by myself, a foot and a half, two feet of snow, just whipping wind, and God, I found this really nice, like, dark horn, deep fork buck, he was with a dozen does, and I mean, throughout the day, I, I got three different stocks on this buck, three different plays on him. At one point, I had him at full draw. It's just like he got all these clothing, all this clothing on and sliding down the hill, and they're all standing out there broadside and trying to get, you know, arrow knocked and get my, get my release on and glove off and cold wind. And by the time I got to anchor, you know, he busted out, but found another buck that day, got a stock on it. I got four stocks in one day, you know, zero degrees, deep snow, big mountain. Like I did over 20 miles and, and a few thousand feet of elevation. I mean, I got back and I was absolutely exhausted. I had to drive home you know, at night, but I was like euphoric. Like that's what I, what I live to do is like that, that bow hunting action, that thrilling excitement. I love like just creating that and getting into the party and getting chances and opportunities. Like that's why I love to bow hunt and especially, you know, opportunities at bucks of those calibers and, you know, I don't know if I can make it back or not. You know, there's uh, another unit that's open for the entire month. Um, so I'd love to make it back and chase around. I just burned about every, every minute of my vacation time this year already going on all these <laughs> adventures. But I mean, my best hunt is the next one, man. I just love them all. You know, I had a great season this year, able to arrow, I was able to arrow two different really nice, big mature bulls, um, both with my buddy Dan around, you know, hunting elk and, the, the one time was um, I got into the to the best elk hunting party that probably I've ever seen. Like I got back in there and then the roads mudded up and it was middle of the week and snowstorm came in and there was nobody around and there was over a thousand head of elk around me. Like I couldn't even make it to all the six point bulls I could see. I'm bugling and going off and I was getting plays and chances and it's open country and again looking for a good next level bull and then finally end up like sticking a really nice big heavy palmated six point old like growler bowl and get the whole thing on film and like seven days deep like that's my favorite uh, like so like I'm, I'm just so fortunate man i mean i live a great life and get to go on a bunch of these adventures and a bunch more coming up man that's awesome brian i just love love hearing your enthusiasm like i mean listen to the podcast and just listen to you talk to us tonight i mean you know, I don't know, man. It's just like it's yeah, just always making the most of it. Yeah, it it's like. it's just awesome, man. I just I really really enjoy it, um, and I just really really appreciate you coming on and and chatting with us this evening. 
um, you know, I know you, you know, you got a family and, and, uh, you know, you got your stuff that you're doing and you, you know, you got your own podcast and everything. So just really means a lot that you'd take time and, uh, come on and just chat with us. So. Yeah, yeah my pleasure, guys. Anytime. No, uh, yeah, really happy for you guys starting that podcast. I know you talked to me in the beginning, and um, it, it's a lot of information in there, but good on you guys taking the step and putting out a podcast and getting out the content. Man, I'm happy for you guys and happy for your success, too. You guys have been killing it. Like in Nebraska, I remember last year getting photos of your season, you know. Um, man, you guys are killing it and making the most of life, and a lot of like when we're young, we don't have the finances either. Like when we're young, we have to enjoy what's right around us. And all of us included, no matter what financial situation we're in or where we live at, like there's so many great things like right around us. And you guys live in a great state with, with a bunch of great opportunities and make the most of it. So, man, I appreciate you guys having me on. Definitely. Um, real quick, Brian, just as, you know, kind of a, um, closing thoughts here. Um, you know, I've been thinking as you were talking, um, you know, everybody has to start somewhere and especially when when you're talking about backpack hunting and, or, you know, backcountry hunting with, you know, out of a, a pack and everything. Um, if you had to, if you had to give some advice, you know, things, something that you wish you would have known, you know, when you were first starting out, um, is there anything that just kind of comes to mind when you, when I, when I say that? Yeah. Um, I do, you know, like I made mistakes along the way, but, you know, I think, I think I did a pretty good job of always keeping safe. I mean, I would think the thing that I've really developed as the years have gone on is just belief in myself and belief in the impossible. Like I get on any of these hunts, like even that mule deer hunt last weekend, like they're so good at catching you. Like these animals that were bow hunting, they're so keen and switched on and, um, you know, sometimes it feels like you're fighting a losing battle, whether you're hunting elk or mule deer or, you know, w- whatever the case is, like you get there and it, it seems like it's always tougher than I think it's going to be. It's always tougher than I imagine. And then I, I blow a stock or, you know, I blow a shot, you know, or, or whatever the case is. Um, so I, I think the thing that I developed that I've always had, like just this tenacity and this persistence and just keep pushing on, but I'd say really it's just belief in myself and and belief in what's possible that I know if I continue to put forth effort that I'll create an opportunity on an animal. And I I think it's really easy to um, give in, to make an excuse. You know, excuses are a dime a dozen, and there's one on every single hunt I go on, successes or failures. And I, I just try not to hide behind those. And, like, I just try to put it on my own shoulders and just go hunt hard. And even if I come up short, and I know I give it my all. I feel really good. Just like the hunt last Sunday, such a great hunt. And I knew I had given it my all. I just, I wasn't able to arrow one of those big bucks, but he'll grow another year. And so like, I think it's just believing in that. And even when things get tough and times get tough, like just knowing, just continue to put forth the effort and it's going to pay off. You know, it, it just pays off in the long run. You know, you may not be finding any deer and and all of a sudden you come into the right basin and you find a, a bachelor group of bucks and you end up arrowing that one. Like I can't stress like how many hunts that come down to the last day for me and then I end up arrowing a critter. Like the, it feels like it's never going to happen. It feels like it's impossible. And all of a sudden it just comes together. But I think that's like the magic of bow hunting. And so like I think it's just um, just starting out, just belief in yourself. Um, 
try not to put too much stress on success. We all want to be successful, but it's just to go have an adventure and us guys to like, like go cut loose out on, you know, these, these super gnarly extreme mountains. I mean, it's pretty incredible that we just have this opportunity to, to be out there. So try to enjoy it while you're out there and go hard and push hard, believe in yourself. And um, it's amazing what comes together. I think that's spot on. I think that's great advice for anybody, no matter in what stage of the game you're in. If you're just starting out or if you're a seasoned veteran, I think that's great advice for anybody. Yeah, for sure. No, that's well said, Brian. Well said. So, but uh, anyhow, hey man, uh, you know, thank you so much again for for coming on, and I'm sure, our, like I said, our listeners will will really enjoy you know hearing this podcast, and um, you know maybe some maybe we can have you. Have you on again sometime, or or have have you out to Nebraska for a bow hunt or something like that? So, yeah, anytime, guys. Yep, my pleasure. So, all right. Well, we're gonna wrap up this segment then. And uh, any closing thoughts on that, quick, Zach? I don't or? think so. So, all right. All right. Well, a big thanks to Brian. Man, that was just excellent. Yeah, so. some good stories, some good information. Definitely, yeah. I, um, Seems like every question we ask, he just hit the nail on the head. I mean, he... <laughs> just everything. I just love his enthusiasm, man. It's just like infectious, you know. Yeah, like we said earlier, he's just a blue collar guy who seems to make the most of everything. He's always out yeah. there doing something when he's not working, you know. Just makes you like want to go for a run or something. I, I know. know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some people would probably be like, "Yeah, right," but no. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, but uh, but yeah, again, thanks again to Brian. Um, you know, like I said earlier, just you know, he didn't didn't need to take time out of his day to to be on here with us, but he did, and so man, really appreciate that from him. So oh yeah, and he's been a lot of help helping us get this podcast rolling yeah. and stuff too. Oh for sure. I, I mean, I guess I have, didn't even really talk about that, but uh, you know, this really wouldn't have even happened if it wasn't for Brian. Cause, exactly. Um, when Zach and I first kind of got this idea rolling in March. Um, I just messaged him on oh, Facebook or Instagram or yeah. something, uh, messaged him on there and was just like, Hey, you know, cause I'd listened to, you know, both at Vilsack and I'd listened to uh, Eastman's Elevated, which if you haven't checked that out, you really need to. Oh, you definitely need to. And I, a, when I yeah. first started listening to these podcasts, I, you're the one who sent it to me. Say, Hey, yeah. you ever listened to the podcast? And you sent me that Eastman's Elevated and it. It's an excellent one. I mean, if you're looking to hunt out west or even just listen to some mm-hmm. awesome hunting stories, it's a good one to listen to. For sure. Um, but, yeah, anyhow, I just, you know, I'd send him a message and say, hey, you know, we're thinking about getting a podcast rolling. I just have a lot of questions, you know, I don't really know where to even start. And, man, he just, like, <laughs> sent me his phone number. He's like, give me a call anytime. I'll just, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll answer any questions he got. So, literally, I called him, like, an hour later and we had like a 30 minute conversation. He, you know, told me, you know, what, what, uh, you know, how to get set up, what, you know, what, what type of equi- equipment he recommended, um, you know, for microphones to, you know, whatever else, um, that was needed. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Just, I can't say enough good things about him and just really appreciate all his help. Oh, so, yeah. but, uh, so anyhow, enough about that. Uh, um, we'll move on to our, uh, our next segment here with uh, the Meet an NBA member, we've got on John Hand here. So, Hey guys, it's Kyle here. So for our Meet an NBA member segment this week, um, we've got John Hand on. Uh, you may remember 
Um, either a few episodes back, or it might even be this episode, depending on where I decide to put it. John told us a story about a nice buck that he killed last um, November. So, uh, but John, you want to go ahead and give us uh, just another brief introduction: where you're from, what you do, family, all that stuff. Go ahead. You bet. You bet. Well, uh, my name is John Hand, and uh, I live in Pleasanton, Nebraska, small town, about 360 people. Um, I've lived here all my life. My family's lived here all their lives, and uh, and uh, we like it here. And uh, it's in pretty much about 20 miles straight north of Kearney. So yep, um, we're an agriculture area. Um, this is hard ground here. Um, there's some pasture and, and uh, mixed in with a lot of ag. And we're not too far from the sand hills, but we're definitely not in them. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm married. Uh, I've been married to uh, my wife Diane for 28 years. My oh, lovely bride awesome. that puts up with all my stuff that I enjoy. Yeah. And um, I've been hunted, uh, I believe now for about 38 years. So. I'm uh, 52 years old this year. And, 52 uh, years so young, right? No. <laughs> 52 years young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't feel. I don't feel old. Some days I feel a bit old, but uh, um, no, I don't. I feel like I got a lot of stuff to do yet. Yeah. Excellent. For sure. That's good. Yeah. That's a good mindset. Yeah. Um, no. Awesome. Well. Uh, I've got. Uh, I guess I should talk a little bit more about my family. Oh sure. Go ahead. Uh, Diane and I have uh, three children, uh, Dalton uh, and Adeline and Connor. So we've been blessed with three great kids and and, uh, a great place to live. And so it's been good. Awesome. Well said. I always say Nebraska is the best kept secret. So anyhow, (laughs) it's a wonderful place to be. You bet. Um, all right, well, I'm just going to run down the list here. Uh, John, we'll just start with the, I guess you kind of already answered the first question. You said you've been bow hunting for what, about 38 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, tell me about any mentors you had when you were starting out. Um, yeah, I've mentioned, uh, in a different segment when we, we did the segment on, the on the, the deer hunt from last year was, uh, my uncle Brian Pritchard, actually, uh, on my mom's side, was an outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a state trap shooter and just an all-around, and he loved to trap and fish and things like that. So I hung around him a lot, and he bow hunted. So I was intrigued with that and, and at an early age, and uh, so I picked up the bow and, and uh, fell in love with it as well. But... Then I got, as I got older, I got to meet uh, people from a club that I joined, uh, Mid-Nebraska Bow Hunters here uh, out of Litchfield, which is not too far from Blessington, but mm-hmm. people like uh, Ellen Epley and Delwyn Braithwaite, yeah. Danny Graham and Joe Clomer, <laughs> you know, those guys, those guys are my local role models for sure, you know, they helped me you know, grow and, and the bow hunting sport and, uh, mm-hmm. of course, national, uh, role models 
Fred Bear, of course, you know, and yeah. the Wenzel brothers, Larry Jones, Dwight Shue. I grew up, when I was growing up, uh, bow hunting, the video, bow hunting videos were just getting started. So mm-hmm. I got to see a lot of those early videos of those guys um, starting all of that. So it was good. Yeah, no. Excellent. Um, this is kind of a... Uh, <clears throat> Hard question for people, but um, if you had to narrow it down to, you know, one or two is fine. But what what's your favorite bow hunting memory, would you say, John? I would definitely say it's not a hard one for me. Okay, perfect. Was, <laughs> you know, I mean, because uh, of my family. Yeah. And uh, I got to see and help my children all shoot uh, or harvest um a deer with their bow yeah. and I and I got to witness that and I was right over their shoulder the whole time and uh, by far to me that is the most was the most uh, memorable thing for me in, in in my bow hunting career so far for sure awesome no that very very well said that's uh, an excellent excellent memory i'm sure i'm i hope someday to have that as well so you will you will it'll be awesome i'm excited for that so oh yeah um very good well what is your favorite animal to bow hunt and why that's a good question and i thought about it a while and of course we all love to hunt deer it's because we have so many and it's a something we do before work after work and mm-hmm. uh, they we live with them so but for me uh probably my favorite animal to hunt is an antelope yeah and uh mainly because they are such a unique species just because of what they are mm-hmm. there's no other species like them anywhere in the world you know yeah. They're, they're yeah they're their last remaining relative right i mean isn't that isn't that the deal? There's nothing else that's even in their their yeah. family anymore, I believe. But yeah, it's, it's and 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 they're just a, a lot. I mean, a lot of people to me they're very special just because I I think it's the best red meat that I can eat. Oh, I agree one hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree one hundred percent with that. Would not yeah. Believe that, but if 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 you do your part in your hunt yep. and you harvest that animal quickly and and you take care of the animal mm-hmm. um, quickly and 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 do it properly, it it is there there is anything better. I, that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, but mainly, I love where they live. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't you know unless you live. I I, I love the high desert of this country, Wyoming and northwestern Nebraska and, and northern Colorado and western Colorado or eastern Colorado, I guess. But just just awesome country. I love the sagebrush country. Yeah. I love the smell of sagebrush. I love the smell of antelope, the, the scent that they have. Yeah. Um, it, to me, is a very special animal to hunt, and I usually do it with some good friends. Mm-hmm. And that even makes it even because most of the time as bow hunters were, you know, we hunt alone for the most part, and uh, those are those are hunts that that you can do 
you know, with your friends. So I, I think the antelope by far is my favorite animal to hunt with a bow for sure. Cool. No, that's, I, uh, I, I'm right there with you. I, there, it's a hunt that I look forward to every single year, and I think a lot of it has to do with something that you said, John, and that's just being able to to see the people that I see when I go out there and do it and just have fun, and, and it's just, yeah, and I agree. So anyhow, um, along kind of those same lines, um, so – you know, what's we talked about what's your favorite animal what's one animal that you've always wanted to hunt um but ne- not necessarily uh, but haven't necessarily hunted yet and and why is that animal that that i guess but okay probably um i might mix this up a little bit but elk for, for me uh-huh. um i have now i'm going to say i have hunted elk several times um back in my younger years and I haven't hunted elk for a long time mm-hmm. and um, I've never harvested an elk with a bow um, but it is definitely an animal that I would love to harvest with my bow before I leave this earth for sure yeah um, they're just they're very majestic and I think um it's just something that I feel like I need to do yet. It's something that I haven't done yet, and it's it's one of those uh, species that is obtainable, and and I just need to get it done, you know? Yeah. Do you have any hunts lined out or plan for the future with that, John? Or just, yeah. I don't. I was actually yeah. talking to a friend about it tonight, and uh, so that's something I think in, in the next couple of years I'm going to try and um, start moving forward with. Yeah. Um, of course, of putting for Nebraska elk for sure, yeah, <laughs> for years, and and that that may never happen, but um, you know I need to look outside that that box and and um, and do. Get, get out get out back west and, and get see if I can get that done get yeah. that accomplished and for me it doesn't have to be a trophy um, you know any respectable bull or even even a cow would would, would make me happy yeah mm-hmm. excellent um, I guess the next question we kind of already touched on bow hunting roll miles so we can skip um, skip that when you kind of mentioned that already, but, um, John, how long have you been an NBA member? I've been a member around 30 years. I can't tell you the exact year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, probably around that time frame. Okay. And what, uh, this is also kind of a, it may be not a tough question for you because the first one I said wasn't, but what's your favorite NBA memory that you could think of? Oh, well, I got a couple of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, when I first became a member, um, Rick Dayton and I, I think the first event that we had ever went to was the Jamboree. Mm-hmm. And we left. This was back when we were young, and we were, I might have been out partying one night, but <laughs> we left early or late in the night, early in the morning, and drove couple hours to Halsey and get there 
in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and sleep under our pickup in the parking lot and literally get up the next morning and and we're in the middle of all these people that love the same things that, that we love, you know, and, and we got to meet a lot of people. But yeah, um, Delmer, I remember Delmer, right, wait, he would go around in the evenings and he would go camp to camp and he always had this, you know, a drink with him and he always called a pretty girl, mm-hmm. right? Well, the, name, the reason he named it pretty girl, if you drank enough of it, every girl becomes pretty. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> and he always he always had this saying, he'd say, Let's have a party and he'd, he'd yell it. And and those are memories that I, I I'll never forget those, you know. He was yeah. a great guy and everybody loved him. Yeah. And uh, and uh, another a great one of my great memories, first memories from from the Jamboree was I met this guy named Lyle Perel. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know Lyle from nothing. Didn't know his past and didn't know much about him. But he put on this little chute that he had up on the side of a hill somewhere. And he had these balloons tied to a, sticks. And he was timing these, you know, like three balloons out there. And you had to shoot them as fast as you could and you'd time it. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting in line to do this. You know, I have my recurve. I thought, man, this will be easy for me. And, there's this young guy in front of me, and of course I wasn't very old, but he gets up there. He had this whole bare compound, no sights or nothing. Yeah. I don't know. He probably had every arrow he had was a different size and length, and you know, <laughs> he gets up sure. there and Lyle says, "Go!" And he, as fast as he could, picked up three arrows. And these balloons were blowing around in the wind. This was no easy shoot, mm-hmm. and they were close. They weren't that far. He bought three balloons with three shots about as fast as you could ever believe anybody could do it. <laughs> and he turned, walked out of there and he made us all like, what the heck just, just <laughs> happened? Even Lyle, yeah. I mean, even, even Lyle had been hunting for years, you know, he, Lyle probably then was in his fifties uh-huh. and, uh, um, I, I gotta meet that guy. I gotta meet this kid, you know, well, it was Harlan Wells. Oh, <laughs> Oh, he darn. And Lyle, never forget, Lyle uh, called him up. Of course, he won that. Nobody could do what he did, you know. And he he brought that young kid up there, and he told that whole crowd, you know, that night of suffering, he's like, everybody needs to be and and try and be a shoot and shoot like this kid. Yeah. Like this young kid, you know, he was... I don't know how old you'll have to I'll have to ask Arlen how yeah. he was there. He was young. But uh so that was a great that was a great memory for me. And then of course having all my kids up there, you know, yeah. since they were little and watching them run around and climb the same trees that <laughs> in the campgrounds and stuff that these kids are doing today and then and hopefully that your kids will do again, you know. Yeah. No, Kyle, exactly. So, yeah, sure. no, exactly. That's yeah, it's that that's your fun to to see those kids running around. I mean, you know, it seems like it was a long time ago, but it really wasn't that long ago that I was doing the same things. But anyway. that's right. <laughs> um, but no, those are excellent memories, awesome memories. Thank you, John, for sharing those. So you bet. Um, also, kind of a somewhat of a tough question, but uh, how would you say the NBA has influenced you? It is. I, kind of is a tough question but I, I think 
several ways. Um, it's got me involved. It got me involved back when I was young and, and, uh, got me thinking about a lot of things other than just hunting. Yeah. You know, about conservation and, and, um, passing on to the next generation mainly to me the nba is all about family yeah and friends and um and i've got a lot of i met a lot of great people in the nba and i'm still friends with a lot of those people and uh, i look forward i mean i only see them once or twice a year but i always always look forward to it but yep um i think it's taught me a, a, a lot of different things i've learned a lot over the years um, with some of the roles that I played with the NBA and, um, um, it's, it's been good. I'll, I'll be an NBA member for forever. Yeah. For sure. Awesome. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point, John. You know, we only, I mean, a lot of those people we only see a couple times a year, but just, you know, feels like you just pick up right where you left off last time, you know? <laughs> yeah. We Every do. time. Absolutely do. So, um, yeah. John, tell us two interesting facts about yourself that are not related to bow hunting. Okay. Um, one thing that maybe, maybe some people know, maybe don't know, but I, I love photography. Um, okay. Uh, more and more, um, into it all the time. And, uh, it's something I've did for a long time and, um, something I hope to do for a lot longer, but, uh, I love photography. Um, also, um, I, I love to fly fish. That was something that I did years ago. Yeah. And I kind of got away from it for a long time. And in the last two or three years here, I picked it back up and, you know, you and I have had conversations about it and, sure. and um, I truly enjoy it. And it's, uh, to me, it's, um, it's a lot like bow hunting. It is. That's exactly what I was just going to say. Yeah. 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 It's a lot like bow hunting. It's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but, um, the rewards are outstanding. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather go to the lake all day and fly fish for a carp yeah. than, I, <laughs> than I would, than I would go up and troll for a walleye and that's me i love to catch walleye too as much as anybody but yeah i don't know there's something about the challenge and there's something about you know you have you have to immerse yourself into it more so Mm -hmm. you know i think than similar to bowling we have to get within 15 yards or 20 yards of an animal that you know yeah it's just it's more same way with fly fishing. Yeah, it's more intimate, you know. You just it is. have to yeah, become exactly. more, uh, you know, more more familiar with your your prey that you're, you know, right. that you're stalking or hunting we or have fishing. To, yeah, we have to study it. Mm-hmm. We not only have to know the animal, we have to know where it eats and yep. what it eats and where it sleeps and where it goes during the day. And you know, you yep. have to know a lot more things about it. So I do enjoy that. There's two two things that I that. Uh, not related to bow hunting that I do enjoy. Awesome. Um, what advice would you 
have for our up and coming bow hunting generation? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm pretty impressed actually with our up and comers. (laughs) Well, good. Um, (laughs) Excellent. I am. I mean, look at yourself. (laughs) I I appreciate that. Now, now I know one of the questions was role models. And I can tell you that some of my role models now, as a 52-year-old, are 22- and 23-year-old kids who have the drive and the desire to go out there and hunt hard and do it the right way mm-hmm. and get it done and then also get involved in in other aspects of bow hunting and conservation and... and uh, knowing what's going on uh, with our state organization. So I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with people like yourself and Oren and, and Zach Halbert and, and, and Zach Welch and, and the Gideon boys. And yeah. um, this is, uh, I, uh, I think it's, it's awesome. And if I have any advice for them, it's, uh, it's an old adage is like, when I was when I was young, I didn't have the means to do a lot of things. I didn't have the I didn't have as much money as I needed, or I didn't have the equipment. But what I had was I had the time, and I had the desire, and I had the drive. Yeah. So when you have that, you don't need that. You don't need anything else. That's what you need. And and I've told a lot of young uh, people this is to get out there and do it now. You know, go go do that. Mm-hmm. And and go lay in the mud and, and, and be cold. And, you know, and that's, that's what I yearn to do now. Yeah. <laughs> now, now <laughs> I, I may have a little bit more of the means, you know, to be a little more comfortable and, and have, have some of the nicer equipment, but I don't have the time and, and I don't quite have the drive I used to have. Yeah. So it's really awesome for me to see, this generation doing so well and performing so well and, and caring so much about, about our outdoors, about our wildlife and, and, uh, about wild places and, and places to be able to hunt yeah. and fish. Yeah. So I, I think we're, I think we're in good hands. I really do. I, I your, hope so. Leave your cell phones in the pickup. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's some good advice. I like that. <laughs> oh man, yeah. No, I I I, I uh, you know I I agree with you there too, John. Just just from a standpoint of uh, you know, man, we've got some pretty amazing um, young bow hunters in this organization, and um, you know, I guess we can talk about them because they're not here. So, but uh, right. but I mean, just you know, people that not only are just you know. I mean, I, 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 uh, you know, I, I know Zach is on here very frequently, but I mean, man, between him and, and, uh, you know, yeah, all those other people that you mentioned, it's just, I mean, it's just incredible that, you know, they're the things that they're doing and, um, yeah, it's just great. It's great stuff. So I'm really, yeah, it's, it's encouraging yeah, I mean, to hear you, to hear you take notice of that and, and just, you know, see that, uh, yeah, the future's bright, I think so. Yeah, I, it, it makes me feel good, and it, it makes me feel good to know that probably, you know, the NBA had a lot to do with that. Yeah, 
Oh, I'm sure it 100% did. Yeah. You know? I mean, they're running around up there in their diapers at Halsey. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Clinging sticks at foam critters, you know? And yep. catching catching toads and playing in the mud and yep. and doing all, you know, doing all the, the fun things that, that we love to do, you know? Definitely. So, yeah. No, well, geez, well, thanks. That's, that's awesome, John. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, you got one more question for you, and then we'll kind of I'll, I'll wrap things up with a little closing statement and stuff. But um, is there anything else that you want to share with the NBA about yourself, or any other closing thoughts that you have, John? Um. Well, like I said, I I, I feel good about the future. Um, at least I feel good about um, the hands that are are watching it. Mm-hmm. Our, our, our young people and I, and I think they're smart and, and uh, driven and, and I think they're going to do a great job and so I'm very proud I'm very proud of that to see that yeah. um, but um, you know that's that's probably it for me I'm yeah. a I'm a I guess about me I'm a simple guy um, I don't, I don't need trophies, uh, hanging on the wall and, and, uh, though it's nice occasionally when that does happen, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I saw a quote the other day, I don't know if they were talking about sitting bull or, or who said, they said, well, when, when all the Buffalo are gone, we're going to hunt mice <laughs> because, because that's, because that's who we are. We're, yeah. we're, we're hunters. Yeah. And I feel, I feel the same way. You know, I'm I'm gonna hunt something because that's that's who I am, mm-hmm. and and uh, I love to pursue any species, uh, big or small. You know, so uh, it doesn't take a lot to to make John Hand happy. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't doesn't take a lot to make Kyle Klammer happy either. So that's good. <laughs> so. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, John. Really appreciate you uh, just coming on that we could get this recorded. And uh, well, thanks to John for being on for our Meet an NBA member segment there. So, um, yeah, I think that's about it. What do you, you got? Anything else, Zach? Or I don't. Another good episode. Looking forward to getting this one out to yeah. everyone. Yeah, I'll uh, hopefully get it edited up here in the next day or so. And get it uploaded maybe later this week or early next week sometime and we'll uh we'll get things rolling so we'll post uh i mean obviously you guys will see we'll i always post a message just on facebook letting you guys know that there's a new episode up Um, if you haven't given us a subscribe on you know the podcasts or whatever on apple or whatever um platform you're listening on um do that and um even if uh actually if you haven't given us a rating yet. That yeah, would also be helpful. Yeah, give us a rating. helps boost us a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Us. So, yeah. Um, that would be nice. I mean, if it's one or five stars, preferably five, but um, yeah. that's fine either way. So Whatever you feel. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And as always, um, please send us any questions, comments to yeah. uh, uh, podcast at gmail.com um, or just send a message um, um, on Facebook. That's fine. Um, or, you know, if you have either of our numbers, just give us a, give us a text or, or call us or whatever. So, um, yeah, 
think that's pretty much it. So. I think that's about it. Yeah, so good luck. Uh, good luck to anybody out that's, that's still got a tag in their pocket. And, uh, yeah, pick a spot and shoot straight. So yeah. any, anything else, Zach? I don't think so. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. And we'll uh, until next time, we'll see you then. So. Yeah, thanks for listening. Right. Yep, bye-bye.